Everybody out there tapping in episode three of Untitled. It is Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. I appreciate y'all being in the building, downloading the show and listening to this episode. There's a lot to cover and shout out to my man Fizzle Dollars for the intro song. That's the wake up show for those of y'all listening to the pod, not familiar. Me and Jay Rich got a show every Monday, 7 a.m. Central Time, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And here in the next couple of weeks, We'll be cranking that bad boy back up for three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So excited about that. And again, shout out to my man, Fizzle Dollars, man. Fantastic rapper, incredible music. Go check out his stuff on Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. But there's a lot been going on in the football world. Scott Fishbowl. We've got training camp underway. NFL running backs aren't being paid. And some people out there think that Caleb Williams is the quarterback, too, in the 2024 class. How we get here? How did we get here with running backs? It seems to be all the talk. Contract crisis experts. That's what I call them. Didn't hear anybody talking about running back contracts up until like Monday or Tuesday. Then everybody's a damn expert. Everybody knows everything that has to do with running back salary and why. And I'm sitting back thinking, shit, we've been telling y'all this for years. We've been saying it for years. This is a replaceable position. Yes, having a Brees Hall. Yes, having a healthy Christian McCaffrey or Jonathan Taylor will help us win. There's no doubt about it because they're incredible talents. But by and large, the running back position is treated like, you know, we see it every single year. Craig Reynolds, Jonas Gray, Gus Edwards, Isaiah Pacheco, Philip Lindsay, Austin Eckler, Danny Woodhead. These guys come out of nowhere every single year. Deion Lewis, doesn't matter. Name the team, name the era, and I can name you a backup running back that's had usable weeks in fantasy. It's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of a position, and we're going to talk about that in this episode and how we should be thinking about this moving forward and what we can expect from the position over the next five, six, seven years. You know, we did that episode on Wake Up a couple of weeks ago, predicting the top 10 quarterbacks in Dynasty in the next five years. Difficult exercise, right? We were kind of talking about some of this in the Destination Devi Discord channel the other day with players like Adrua Lar and Caleb Williams, Drake May. We were in the group and I had asked Matt Bruning, shout out to Matt Bruning, Campus to Canton, just having some conversation about college football. And I said, Matt, take all the college teams across the landscape. And give me the give me the quarterbacks that are guaranteed, bona fide. You don't have any doubt about it. Franchise 
quarterbacks at the NFL level. They'll get drafted. They're going to produce. And you don't need to second guess it. Like, these are the guys. How many players do we have in all of college football at the quarterback position that sort of meet that criteria? And we both thought about it for a second. And we came back with, shit, two, three, maybe? Three. If we're pushing it, three quarterbacks across the entire college football landscape that I can confidently say, or at least we can confidently predict that they will be drafted high enough to matter and then actually produce at the NFL level. And one of those guys, we really haven't seen him do anything in college, so we're kind of wish casting there and Drew Alar. But those two names are Caleb Williams and Drake May. Now, if we were to flip this exercise and say, in the next five years, who are going to be the top 10 running backs in Dynasty? In Dynasty. Man, I, I don't think if we did this exercise today, I think maybe 60% would be like outstanding if we were able to get six out of 10. Would be out. It, it's pure guess, hopium, wish casting, whatever you want to say, because there are so many times that we get excited about this position in particular and it just fails us. It just fails us. The players get hurt, they don't perform. It's the running back position. It's brutal. These cats are built different. These cats are built different and not in a good way today. Not in a good way. In a bad way. Because as we think about the advances in modern medicine and training and performance and specialization in these sports and positions, you would think, like the natural flow and progression, you would think that we get better, right? We're better equipped to handle certain things. We're better equipped, better prepared to handle the beating, to handle the workload, to be that true grinder running back. We are better prepared. We're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger. Got protein powders and stem cell stuff and all of these things. Yet it seems like the complete opposite. It seems like the complete opposite when it comes to running back in the NFL. And I don't know why. I really don't. I have no idea why this error with this position has struggled so mightily to give us the Emmett Smiths, the Adrian Petersons. And maybe it's just a philosophical change in how teams are deploying running back. And you can look across the board and there have been some teams that have successfully done this better than others for quite some time. The New England Patriots, for everything that I uh, rip Bill Belichick for, especially of late with his decision-making of hiring a defensive coach to be the offensive coordinator for a young quarterback, they've seemed to have the formula all along with having a primary ball carrier between the tackles and then having a space back. And they've been utilizing and deploying this type of system for years. And it's been successful. It's been successful for the team. We've had usable seasons in fantasy through this type of deployment of this position. And now we're seeing more and more players, more and more teams start to adopt this sort of, uh, this sort of approach to the position, to the running back position. When you just look at the all-time leading rushers, like I just want to look through, go back in history and look up the guys who are at the very top of the rushing, the rushing list. You got Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton, Frank Gore, 
Barry Sanders. Those are your top four running backs and yards in NFL history. After that, you got AP at five. Curtis Martin, LaDainian Tomlinson, Jerome Bettis, Tony Dorsett, Eric Dickerson, Jim Brown, Marshall Falk, Edron James. Here's some of the names. You know, I was looking up a player, Curtis Martin. Does not get enough, does not get enough credit for how dominant he was throughout his NFL career. Does not get enough credit. Offensive Rookie of the Year in 1995, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, NFL rushing leader in 2004. Just an absolute monster for the New York Jets. Curtis Martin was 5'10", 210 pounds. 5'11", 210. Right, that's what he's listed at. So you're not talking about a 220-pound bruiser, 230-pound guy. He's listed at 5'11", 210, but I'm looking at his pre-draft measurables for old Curtis Martin. 5'11 and a quarter, 203 pounds. So he's built like a James Cook, built like what we call at Destination Debbie a 40 percenter. But then you start looking through his NFL statistics. Let me give you, let me just, let me just set the stage for you of how good Curtis Martin was back in the day. We're going to a little history lesson of the past. Rookie year, 15 games, 368 rush attempts as a rookie running back in the NFL in 1995. Also had 30 receptions that season as well. 1,487 yards, 14 touchdowns, 261 yards through the air for Curtis Martin. He went on to have not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine, but ten. Ten straight 1,000-yard seasons as a rusher. One more time. Ten straight seasons as a thousand yard rusher in a row for Curtis Martin. Insane. You know, why is that the case? Why is it that Curtis Martin at 5'11, 200 pounds, was able to sustain 10 straight seasons of a thousand yards on the ground? And in those 10 seasons that he had a thousand yards on the ground, Curtis Martin did not have a season within those 10 years of his career to start. Absent his final season in the NFL, he never had a year under 310 total touches. He had three 400-plus total touch seasons. He also had three seasons inside his, his illustrious career of over 380 touches. And here we are looking at a player like Derrick Henry, who's six foot three, 250 pounds, and we're freaking the fuck out that he is approaching his fourth high touch season, 380 touch season, fourth. And this is with Curtis Martin only missing, only missing in his NFL career. He only missed a handful of games. He only missed a handful of games. Played in every game. Rookie season, sophomore season. He went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight seasons, starting 
every game, not missing a game for seven straight years until he retired at 32. All pro at age 31. 31 years old, the Jets gave Curtis Martin 412 touches for 1,942 yards and a buttload of touchdowns, 14 of them. Why is it the what what has happened? Or, or, or is our generation soft? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're bigger, faster, stronger. Well, not really. Right now, we got Mike linebackers in the NFL playing about 230, 240, 225 middle linebacker, 225. Deion Jones looks like a strong safety out there floating around playing Mike linebacker. Back in the day, go look at them Erlacher pitchers and Kevin Green. Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, and that ain't even really back in the day, but I don't think it's the fact that players are bigger, faster, stronger. I don't know what it is, but regardless of the cause, the effect is the NFL does not value this position. I don't think there's a coach, a team, an owner in the National Football League that looks at a player like Saquon Barkley and says, that's not a good player. That's a guy that I just absolutely do not want on my team. I don't believe that to be the case at all. I think 100% of NFL teams, including the Giants, want Saquon Barkley to run the ball for them because there is a big difference between Saquon Barkley and Gary Brightwell, between Josh Jacobs and Zamir White, between Austin Eckler and Isaiah Spiller. There is a massive difference between the elite level players at that position, and the replacement guys. So don't get it twisted that just because the Giants didn't pay Barkley, that the Raiders didn't pay Josh Jacobs, that these are bad players, that these are players that you need to be liquidating off of your dynasty rosters today because they're not good. That is not the case at all. Teams just understand that it is a bad financial investment to tie up multi-years in multi-million dollars into this position when you can literally find these guys off of the street, which makes our job in Dynasty very, very interesting. How do you approach the position? What are we thinking today? I know a lot of people inside the Destination Debbie community, F them running backs, man. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm trying to sell all of them. I don't want any part of them. Give me all the old run back. Give me all any running back on a field. I don't even care. I'm not going to go that far. I still want some of the guys. I do think there's a big difference between having a guy that can go out there and tote the rock 25 times and a guy that's only going to touch it eight. Big difference. You can preach efficiency and all that shit to me, but ultimately, give me the guy that's touching the football, right? Because at the end of the day, you got to be able to perform with the rock in your hand. I still want Barkley. I still want Jacobs. I still want Eckler. But it's what we call in law assumption of the risk. I know what I am taking on when I press draft, when I submit that auction bid on that position player. I know that I am buying an asset that could potentially like bottom out pretty quick. And you can say that about any position. You can say that about wide receiver. They get injured. Wide receivers get cut. Wide receivers get hurt. But just think about where we are right now before the season starts with these positions, with Dynasty, with how we value these players. 
Right now, everybody in the world, ah, oh, Odell Beckham sucks. No good. Terrible. Why would you ever want Odell Beckham? 30 years old, two torn ACLs. Ravens gave a man $18 million. Can make up to $18 million in incentives. OBJ. DeAndre Hopkins. People think he's old, not washed, can't play outside, yada, yada, yada. He gets signed by the Tennessee Titans for more than Saquon Barkley's probably thinking about. See players like Cole Beasley getting the job. Darius Slayton getting paid. Devontae Parker. I get it, right? A lot of stuff tied to incentives. Three for 33. What? What? Saquon Barkley? Nah, man. Mm-mm. Can't give you that 19 million, Saquon. Can't do it, baby. Josh? I know we told you to prove it last year, and you went out there and led the league in rushing, but we just can't do it. So what's the approach? How do we navigate this landscape in Dynasty that's being influenced and impacted and changed and fundamentally sort of flipped upside down by the NFL? I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is that paying attention to the game is kind of telling us, like, just look at the NFL right now. Quarterback position, at least in my limited memory, feels like it's never been better and never been worse at the same time. You've got some of the absolute best in the game. Some players that potentially can go down as all-time greats playing quarterback right now, led by you-know-who, Patrick Mahomes, and you still have an Aaron Rodgers and a Josh Allen. We're hoping Jalen Hurts can take that next next step. You've got Joe Burrow up there in that, that elite tier, that elite category, a unanimous MVP in Lamar Jackson. Right, we've got some great ones, and we got some absolute stinkers out there that are occupying spaces. Only 32 of these jobs in the world, and we got some bad ones out there. Right? So I understand that every position has its pros and has its cons. Right? Some of the best quarterback play we've seen, some of the worst quarterback play that we've seen in a long time. So how do we navigate this changing market where you're seeing more quarterbacks that aren't pinpoint accurate throwers, but they're successful with their legs. When you're seeing these running backs that aren't built like the old school guys at 225, 230 pounds, but they're getting opportunity and they're successful. How much of this is scheme and team versus individual talent? I think all of these things factor in to player output and performance. We're in an age now where just a few years ago, a player like Devontae Smith, remember the argument around Devontae Smith during the 2021 draft class was just too skinny. We just historically, we do not see players under a certain weight thrive in the NFL. And then I pull up the Arizona Cardinals depth chart, look at their receiving core and it's nothing but five foot eight. Like literally go to the Arizona Cardinals depth chart right now and they don't have a starting receiver over five foot nine and 170 pounds. Greg Dortch, Rondell Moore, Hollywood Brown, all look smaller than me. Starting three wide receivers in the NFL. Devontae Smith, one of the best young receivers in the NFL, 150 pounds. Got the 2-2 Atwells running around. Zay Flowers, first-round pick. It's interesting to see 
the shifts and evolution in the game. When I got into Dynasty six years ago, six, seven years ago, I mean, when you're talking about an alpha, quote-unquote alpha receiver, they didn't look like Hollywood Brown. They didn't look like Zay Flowers. You'd be insane to draft somebody oh, too small, too short, too skinny. Now, when you've got a six foot four, six foot three wide receiver, you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if I want that dinosaur. That's not the archetype of receiver that I'm looking for today. I need players that can move in space. I need quickness. I need the ability to separate. I need the ability to win quickly. I don't need the big Mike Williams, the alpha imposing six foot five dominant guy. That's what was so interesting about the 22 class and Drake London coming off of the board first because he does look like one of those old school type wide receivers. Now, he's pretty damn good, right? He's pretty fluid. Doesn't do a lot after the catch, but you're just talking about put the ball around him. He's probably going to go get it. London is a different cat. But the point is you're seeing different guys sort of be able to assume roles that traditionally didn't profile or look like they should be inside of those roles. And that's just not skill position for fantasy. Go look at offensive linemen and how they look different and D tackles and Take a look at Aaron Donald and tell me that looks like an interior defensive tackle, right? Somebody that can line up over center and guard, take on a double team and, and be NFL defensive player of the year. The game is changing fundamentally from a young age. You're getting these, you're getting these players that are just more skilled, right? They're not just the turnaround, hand the ball, bang it up the gut, these are guys that can do things in space, that can line up at receiver. I vividly remember my freshman season in college was 2004. That was the year that USC really like blew up. That was, you know, Reggie Bush, uh, Lindell White, Matt Leinart. And I remember, this is not, I'm not looking anything up. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up in a second. You'll hear my keyboard type because this is authentic shit right now. I remember sitting in my college dorm room and watching USC Virginia Tech. They opened the season that year. And Pete Carroll was the head coach of USC at the time. And watching them use Reggie Bush, I think he lit it up in the receiving game versus VTech. And really showing the ability uh, for an offense to have like two lead rushers, Lindell White and Reggie Bush. Lindell White was the bruiser. Reggie Bush, y'all know what he did. The electricity, the spark plug, the engine, the juice, get you out of your seat. Here it is. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. So it was August 28th, 2004 on ESPN, 91,000 at VTech. USC was number one in the country that year. They beat Virginia Tech 24 to 13. And in that game, Reggie Bush had nine carries, 27 yards. Lindell White, 15 for 78. Reggie Bush had five receptions, 127 yards, and three touchdowns. Watching that happen, it was like the first time I can, I, I really remember in college kind of seeing that archetype of player. You know, Marshall Falk was already in the NFL balling out with the Rams, right? Sort of revolutionized what it looked like for a running back to be utilized in space. And Marshall Falk, don't even get me started on how freaking good he was. For, for you young bucks out there who may may not know a lot about Marshall Falk, go look up some of those, uh, some of those Rams and Colts uh, uh, teams and look at the performances that Marshall Falk uh, put on for those teams back then. Just, again, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best 
one of the best to ever do it. But you're talking about that that dual threat type uh, rusher and receiver. You know, Reggie Bush long before Reggie Bush came. And he, I mean, you're, you're talking about a player from his rookie season, Marshall Falk, 52, 56, 56, 47, 86, 87, 81, 83, 80, 45, 50, and 44. Those are his, those are his reception numbers over the course of his 11-year career. Just incredible, right? Dual threat guy. But that's what we saw out of a Reggie Bush back in 2004. And you're seeing more of that throughout the college game as the decades have gone by. More specialized running back rooms, specialized running back units. Guys that may not carry the ball a ton, but they're dynamic in space. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see as we progress forward in the NFL. Absolutely, there will be a place and a role for a player like a Derrick Henry. For that 6'3", absolute just monster of a running back that can do things that nobody else can do, there will be a role for that player. No doubt about it. Braylon Allen, if you're good, you're going to have a role because you're the only one in the class that looks like that. You're that big bruiser. And philosophically, if that marries well with what a team wants to do, then you got a talented player there. But what I think we are going to see starting in 2023 is I think you are going to see, we are going to see more teams deploying this 1A, 1B running back rotation with that 1B, that pass catching plus back, being the one that you probably want to target in fantasy. We all know that a target is worth more I forgot how much more, 1.7, 2.3 something. Scott Barrett always talks about, shout out to my boy Scott. Those targets are worth more than rush attempts. So when you're looking at the running back landscape now, this is why for me, for me, in Dynasty, I will never, never again rank like one through 100 or whatever, how many run through 50 running backs in my RB1. They're categorized because they should be. They should be. Not every running back, regardless if they're the team's number one or number, they don't profile as somebody who's a true three-down back in the traditional sense of the word, right? They're on the field first and second down, and they're the pri- they're their team's primary receiving back. Very few of those guys exist. Very few. And the ones that do exist, they all kind of look the same. Outside of Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, who are arguably, arguably, two of or will go down as two of the best receiving backs maybe to ever play the game, ever. Eckler and, and McCaffrey are on that trajectory, on that path. Those are the only two guys that are sub 210 pounds. Every other running back that sort of profiles as a true three-down back, Joe Mixon, 220-plus. Dalvin Cook is 210, a little heavier. Derrick Henry, 247. Alvin Kamara, 215. Pierce, close to 220. Najee, 230. Ramondre, 230. Jacobs, 220. Saquon, 230. Brees, Taylor, Bijan, all over 215 pounds. Those are the guys... And however you want to rank them inside of that, James Conner's in there too, right? Just a little bit down. James Conner, Leonard Fournette, Kendra Miller, Roshan, they all profile 
historically like a 60% 60%er. Right, somebody that can be on the field, get all the work and we know they'll use rotations, but what I want to focus in on is inside of my database, there's a passing down plus running back. So like satellite plus on the field, third downs, but they also will, will spell a, a, the, the, the main running back a couple of times and they'll get their series throughout the games. But inside of that cluster, inside of that tier of uh, PDP passing down plus, you've got Jameer Gibbs, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, Tajay Spears, Devon A-Chain, Samaje Ryan, Jalen Warren. Right, you've got in, in some older ones that are produced, you've got the Jarek McKinnons and, 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 and Ty Chandler's in this range, Clyde edwards Lair. But this is where I think you can extract some value, right? And the name that sticks out to me right now that I'm excited to see, and I know there are some people who don't believe it, they don't want to buy it, they don't think, ah, I don't think he's that good, whatever, Najee's there. Very curious about Jalen Warren. Very curious and interested to see what Pittsburgh is going to do with Jalen Warren. And everything that I'm reading from beat reporters out of Pittsburgh is he's on the field. He's earned his role. They love him. They want him on the field. They want him to compliment Najee Harris. Glowing reports about Jalen Warren, right? Jalen Warren, Oklahoma State, undrafted kid, likelihood that he's some long-term Great fantasy asset, probably a long shot. But one of the things that I talk about all the time, man, all the time, is football is a simple game. It really is. It's a simple game. It's not complicated. It doesn't require a, a mathematics degree, a physics degree. It doesn't require... A spreadsheet doesn't require any of that shit, man. Can you ball? Does the team believe in you enough to give you an opportunity to ball? What do I always say? I'm looking for players that have an opportunity to get an opportunity to score me fantasy points. And when we're talking about a position as replaceable as running back with a team that I'm hoping it's a little bit better. They invested a first-round pick in the offensive line. They got another tight end that's a good blocker. I'm hopeful and optimistic for that Pittsburgh Steelers team. But ultimately, what we've seen from two years out of Najee Harris is an inefficient runner. Doesn't mean Najee's not good. I mean, I fucking love him. He's my RB1 coming out of the 2021 class. Right, RB1. But it's hard to argue that throughout his career so far, I don't know if he's one of those type of players that just gets better with more work, right? Has yet to average over, over four yards of rush attempt, and I know yards per carry is a little skew. I just, we're just looking at the raw number, not diving deep today. And then you saw that target and reception share literally cut in half from year one to year two. Year one, Najee was all they had, 307 carries, 74 receptions for Najee Harris. And if you're telling me my rookie running back, like if B. John Robinson goes out there and gives us 307 and 74, almost 400 touches in year one, how good is he going to be? Going to be in freaking credible. If, if you're telling me B. John's getting 380 locked in touches, which I don't believe he will, 
He's going to be incredible. Najee Harris got that. I got all that work, all that volume. He was RB6 point per game that season, which is, which is good. But damn near 400 touches, I need you to be RB1. And the reason why he's not is because he's just not that, he's just not that guy to do that. He's not the guy that's going to, how, how do I say this? He, he doesn't have that elite speed, right? So when you're talking about the superpower, Right. I always look at running backs and I'm like, what is this? What is this player's elite attribute that separates him from the pack? Saquon Barkley, you can call it speed, size adjusted speed, quickness, agility, dynamism in the receiving game. Christian McCaffrey, you know what it is. His ability to be uncovered. You can't you can't cover him. He's an underrated rusher between the tackles and you can't cover him in space. Chris Johnson, speed. Barry Sanders, juke and ability, vision, footwork. At Austin Eckler, receiving ability, speed, versatility. Josh Jacobs, just a fucking good running back. Najee Harris, superpowers, throwing defenders off of him, breaking tackles, which is great. Looks fun when he tosses a guy, but then he goes and picks up three yards after that because he's fighting off defenders left and right. And everything that I'm reading and what I believe is going to happen in this situation in Pittsburgh is Jalen Warren is going to be on the field. Jalen Warren is going to be that team's primary receiving back. That does not mean Najee's not going to get his. But using these guys in tandem is probably what's best for the Pittsburgh situation as a whole. There are very few guys that can just line up and get it play after play after play. Very few of those in the NFL today. So if you have one of those guys in Dynasty, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you holding and cherishing or are you trying to sell? You know, there are other running backs that fit that criteria for being a true 60% or a three-down workhorse. Nick Chubb, 230. Pacheco, 220. B-Rob, 225. Jamal, 215. Spiller, 220, Zeke, 230, Algier, Damian Harris, all these guys profile, have the size to be that, but they lack, they lack the passing upside, they, they, they are traditional two-down grinders, right? That's what Nick Chubb is, I wish he caught some damn passes, I wish they threw it to him, but you're seeing these specialized deployment of players at the NFL level, and it's only going to continue to happen because of what the high school and the college games are giving us. Right now, we're talking about James Cook. James Cook is the number one rusher for the Buffalo Bills. I like James Cook. I want James Cook to be good. James Cook wasn't a starting running back in Georgia, and damn it, he's not a qualified starting running back in the way that most people are thinking about him, man. In the NFL, is he a good 1B? Is he a good complement back? Can he, good, can he be a good PDP, a passing down plus back? Absolutely. Do I want my team turning around on third and two and giving it to James Cook on 26 counter, 22 dive, 23 power? Absolutely not, I don't. Don't want him lining up in Wildcat, taking a direct snap at the goal line? Hell no. Shit, I barely want Tony Pollard doing it. I mean, I do because I want the points, but 
I don't believe that's his strong suit. So as we think about these running backs getting paid and who's getting signed, it's just not worth it for an NFL team from a production standpoint. Now, you can argue the value of a Saquon Barkley in the New York media for things other than being on the field, right? Face of the team. People are, people are buying tickets to see Saquon, right? Front row, Madison Square Garden. He is, he's got a little better case than others to say, there's a, there are more reasons why you should pay me besides what I actually do on the field. But the reality is, y'all, we're, we're getting to that point where I've, I've, I've said this now for over a year. The litmus test for the running back market wasn't, wasn't set this year. I don't think it was Saquon or Jacobs. Jacobs, uh, the Raiders are just, I don't know what my Raiders are doing. Saquon had the injury. Tours ACL, came back, ankle injury. So he, really this past season was like his first really fully healthy year in a while, right? Where he got back to looking like Saquon. But I think the real litmus test for the running back position is going to come with Jonathan Taylor. What do the Colts do with JT? Are they going to pay him? Are they going to pay him top dollar? Or are they going to put the tag on his ass? You know, I've been saying it for a while that I think, I don't believe Dallas is going to pay Tony Pollard. If Tony Pollard balls out this year, 26 years old, going into next season 27, they're going to tag him again. He's going to be pissed, probably hold out, show up week one. They're going to use him in 2024 and then cut him. Let him go. Thank you for your services. We've either drafted another running back in 2024, Rocket Sanders probably because he goes to Arkansas and that's Jerry Jones' love affair, or Malik Davis or somebody else. We'll find somebody else. Right, but JT, that is going to be that is the final nail in fantasy gamers RB coffin. If they don't sign Jonathan Taylor and they tag him, I think we will forever see this position change. And I've already think that we're on the cusp of that now. We aren't even at week one. And I understand that these reports are just reports, right? Just all these, they can be taken off anytime. The fact that J.K. Dobbins wants a new deal, he's mad, he's not going to show up. Austin Eckler's still bitching about his contract. Saquon deleting the Giants off his page, damn near crying on a podcast. Derrick Henry, oh man, this is so messed up. I do not want to incite fear, panic, or irrational decisions. Let me say that one more time. I do not want to incite, encourage, or give you the opinion that I want you to go out there and make irrational deals based on what we're seeing with running backs today. What we're seeing teams do or not do with the running back position today. But I posed this question to my community the other day. If there were ever a time in recent memory, where I could see players at the end of the season who are out of it, right? I'm not talking about the Kansas City Chiefs running back as they're going for a Super Bowl saying, oh, I don't want to play week 18 because I need a contract. I'm talking about the Raiders who could be 3-13 and 13 as we get towards the end of the season. The Giants who over-under win total right now is 7.5 with juice to the under. 
The Green Bay Packers, shit, they barely wanted to give Aaron Jones the ball anyway last year. It was like, why, why are you not giving Aaron Jones the ball? Right? I'm talking about those teams that are on the cusp of being real bad. Tennessee. Saw a tweet today. No doubt Will Levis is starting at some point in the season. If things go south for those organizations early and often, if there were ever a time in fantasy football, NFL football, really the NFL, where I could definitely see a world in which some of these guys who don't have a deal think I'm going to lay it on the line in week 17 when Aiden O'Connell's the quarterback, Devontae Adams has an ankle injury, and we're 3-13. and Think Josh Jacobs wants to lay it out for the love of his team, for those Raiders, because he loves them, because he, he just has so much loyalty and respect for that organization that even though they decided to play him in week one of the preseason last year, and even though they loaded him up with 400 touches last year and he led the league in rushing, they still didn't give him a contract long-term extension. Think he's going to want to lay it on the line? For the Las Vegas Raiders, do you believe that Saquon Barkley, let's just imagine a world with the Giants and all those slot receivers, they don't win a lot of games. A lot of people felt like the Giants overachieved a little bit last year. They could take a little step back. Giants, get down the stretch. They're out of it. Eliminated from playoff contention. Third, finishing third, fourth in the NFC East. It's week 17. It's week 17. Out of it. Think Saquon is going to go out there and lay it on the line? Maybe. Maybe. But what you can't deny is that in this age of player empowerment, these players really kind of figuring out their worth, taking a stand, right, on things, being outspoken about contract situations and, 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 and their game that they play and run, if there were ever a time for those guys to say, fuck this, I'm not going out there. And we and hell, the last week of the season, we already see the scrubs go out there and play. I'm concerned about week 17. I am. And there's nothing that we can do now to prepare or guard ourselves from that. Can't make a trade because Saquon's got to play. He's got to play six games. Jacobs has got to play. He's got to play six games to accrue that season. But I do not believe, and there isn't a soul on the planet that's going to convince me otherwise because I've been a player in a situation where the environment was not good. And I can tell you right now, and everybody listening has probably been in a situation throughout your professional career where you did not like your job where you were ready to get the hell on up out of there you're just waiting for that new offer to come in from the new job you're waiting for christmas break you're waiting for the summer so you can get the hell out of dodge if i got some teachers in here listening my wife was an elementary school teacher for five years i know what them teachers be thinking towards may shit i'm ready for these badass kids to go home it i just i just need to make it out i got two more weeks and I'm done. Let's get this star testing out of the way. And you're watching movies the last two weeks of school. I don't give a damn. It is the summer and I'm done with y'all. Derrick Henry and the Titans. Josh Jacobs and the Raiders. Saquon Barkley and the Giants. 
I can see all three of those guys getting down there week 16, week 17, looking at that clock like, man, I got two more weeks. A, two more weeks to stay healthy so I can go try to get a deal out after I get out of here. And B, just to get the hell out of here. I'm sick of Josh McDaniels. I'm good on this Titans team. I'm really good on this, this giant situation. And I know people don't want to hear that, but this is this is a job for these guys. Right? We sit back and we enjoy the entertainment and we think you've got to go do it. It's your team. It's a business first. And everybody in that locker room, whether they agree with their teammate or not, they all understand that this is a job and he has to do what's in the best interest of his family and his situation. And we see these things play out quite a bit. You hear teammates talk about these things coming out, whether whatever sport it is, right? Man, really wish he could be there, but I understand. It's a contract situation. I get it. They don't even talk about each other with money because they all get it. And in a world in which these owners and these organizations are making billions of dollars, you damn well better believe that if I'm a running back and I truly believe, which Saquon probably does, that I'm the best back in the NFL, I laid it on the line for y'all last year. You played me in preseason week one, and now you don't want to pay me? And we sit back on our couch thinking, oh, yeah, there's Ray's talking about Saquon missing week 17. There's not a, not a chance. Absolutely, there's a chance. If the Giants are in it and they're competing, he's probably going to play. Right, because human nature, you want to go out there and and ride with your boys and 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 go try to win it, right? It's that competitive spirit. I'm not talking about every team and every running back without a contract because all situations aren't the same. I'm specifically focusing on the teams where shit can go south quick, the teams that have some sort of shaky or uncertain situations, whether that's at the head coach or quarterback transition year with ownership with GMs that's what I'm talking about are those guys I'm not talking about Antonio Gibson who doesn't have a contract I mean shit he's got to play I mean you're just Antonio you're not Saquon you're not the NFL leading rush you're not Saquon you're not Derrick Henry I'm not talking about Antonio Gibson I'm not talking about damn uh, Cordero Patterson or Kareem Hunt I'm talking about the guys that we are drafting in spots, and that ADP, that if we don't have them, we're screwed. So what do we do? What do you do? How do we navigate? Do we fade running back? Are we buying a different archetype of running back? It's knowing what you get. It's knowing what you get, knowing what you're investing in, understanding that this position is truly a year-to-year game bet. Period. Period. There is no two years with running back. There's no three years with running back. I see so many people waiting until that Kendra in two years. Fuck, I'm waiting two years for, man. Year this year. What can you do me year one, running back? Unless you've drafted and constructed your team to where it's truly like I'm playing for next year. You don't give a damn about nothing. You just drafted all rookies. We'll see you next year. And even then, you get you a young rookie running back that pops off and you can flip 2x value what you paid, do it. Just do it. 
Just do it. Because for every Jonathan Taylor, for every B. John Robinson, for every Brees Hall, there's another one coming. There's another back coming. They may not be the individual talent that a Christian McCaffrey is. You don't see CMCs every year. You don't see a Saquon every single year. But what you are going to see is the exclusion of the old and bringing in some new. Whether that new is good or bad, we don't know. But hell, even a Phillip Lindsay, who was 185, 190 pounds, had 2,000-yard seasons in multiple windows for you to move and sell in Dynasty. Dynasty is not a year-to-year game, right? It's not a true year-to-year because one Dynasty year is like seven dog years. Like one real like Dynasty calendar, if you really think about all the ebbs and flows of fantasy football and Dynasty in particular, in one calendar year time, you've probably had like four Nexus events that have happened inside of that year that have drastically shift how people perceive players in the league. Whether that's looking at warp and understanding we're valuing the wrong positions, whether that's a quarterback getting suspended, whether that's the NFL draft, whether that's free agency. What, there's like four or five Nexus level events in one calendar year that influence the dynasty market. So yes, dynasty is year to year, but inside of that one dynasty year, there are like seven other years in there, right? And that's why the draft is just the start. Picking the team, picking the players is just the start. And if you want to be better at this, you have to remove yourself and detach from the name per se, right? Become a little more player agnostic. Understanding that in 2024, there may not be a Bijan, but shit, we got 10, 10 Rocket Sanders and we got a bunch of Travion Hendersons and we've got the Donovan Edwards and Blake Corms that will get opportunity somewhere. So how do I extract value from a dying position instead of building around this position in which some of the best we've seen do it could essentially get replaced? And I don't think it's far-fetched to believe Saquon shows up for week one and in his mind, if I just, if you all who are listening to this right now were honest with yourself, just close your eyes and imagine you being, being in Saquon Barkley's shoes, right? Think about you at your current job, knowing that you are the best person at whatever it is that you do at your job. You are the best, and there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And if you're not the best, you're one of the top five best in the entire company, from pillar to post, from coast to coast around the world. You know that. Your employer knows that. Yet it comes bonus time, comes raise time, and they don't want to pay you, right? They don't want to pay you. They want you there. They want you to do the work. And you got to kind of show up because you need insurance, you got bills, you got a mortgage to pay. But let's just say your job said, you know what, Johnny, you take four weeks off. Just make sure you show up and you're here September 1 to work, right? You know, every day you don't come in, we're not going to fire you because we want you here because we know you're good. But we're not going to pay you, probably going to fine you, but you got to be here. September 1 to collect those benefits. You got to be here to get that paycheck come September 1. Every last one of us would probably take that four weeks, say F you job, show up September 1, clown with your homeboy or homegirl at work that you ain't seen in a while, hug and do all that. But when it's time to go to work, I guarantee you that shit's in the back of your head. 
I don't want to go as far as calling what Saquon or Jacobs or these guys are going to do is malicious obedience. Ever heard of that? Malicious obedience. I've had some employees who were maliciously obedient. They like listen, but they're trying to like screw you over behind, you know, behind closed doors. They don't really, they don't really like you. They're just saying, okay, because you're the, you're in the power, you're in the place of power in that role. I don't want to go that far to say Saquon is going to be maliciously obedient, but I do not think that love and affection and wanting to lay it on the line and, and put your injured body out there for the New York Giants, for the Las Vegas Raiders, for the Tennessee Titans, for whatever team it may be, I don't believe that level of enthusiasm is going to exist for Saquon Barkley. For Josh Jacobs, for Jonathan Taylor, if the Colts end up doing that to him. And before you know it, folks, you're going to be looking at that Bijan Robinson that you have like, man, I really would rather swap this out. Two years from now, let's, let's put a bookmark on here. Two years from now, as crazy as people are going over Bijan Robinson, just wait until it's Nicholas Singleton. Just wait. Watch what's about to happen. Out with the old, in with the new. And that is the running back position. In a nutshell, I'm not shocked this is happening. I'm not happy it's happening because I feel for him. It's a brutal spot. It's a brutal position, and it's an important position. They set the tone. They get people excited. People love to see those big runs. I know the long ball and all the passing is fun, but there's nothing better than seeing a perfectly executed stiff arm, somebody getting their ass broken down in the open field with an in-out hesitation move. Seeing that running back split out wide, working defensive backs, running over. It's just fun to watch the position play. Because you can, you, you can tell, man. I want to see Ramondre. It's fun watching him. It's fun watching Damian Pierce. It's fun watching Kamara glide. Derrick Henry run through folks. Dalvin Cook being explosive. But the reality is, this is a spot in which we no longer, and I hope, I hope, We've learned some lessons over the past couple of years that while the right running backs absolutely matter to a degree, the position as a whole, nah, man, don't matter. They just don't. They just don't matter. Might be five or seven for you, but for me it's eight in the morning. Log online to YouTube. I need wake up TV in the morning. Destination Debbie J Rich and Ray G in the morning. I honestly, it's no place that I'd rather be in the morning. Talk some football, redraft some dynasty in the morning. I get so hyped to catch it live. I can't sleep in the morning. We not related, but y'all my family in the morning. Top two, but not number two. Number one of the ones right in front of you. Super chat, we can talk cash. Patreon slash all gas. Top two, but not number two. Number one of the ones right in front of you. Super chat, we can talk cash. Patreon slash all gas. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning.